Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Well, good morning, Mike. Good morning. So, uh, you know, one thing that I, for some reason, I just seem to see it all the time when I'm having conversations now, um, and I'm very curious your take on it, but uh, is video games. Video games have seemed to be this new norm, And, and I'm not talking kids, I'm talking... I I grew up. We played video games, and I think probably around. I would guess it was probably my generation, maybe a little bit older. Um, I, I'm a millennial. It's definitely in Gen Z, definitely in Gen X. But uh, as we grew up, we never actually stopped playing video games. So now you have kids that played. They get a little older. Of course, they go to college and they play video games. Now we are. Uh, I see all the time husbands that are having full careers and now dads that are, are just playing video games. And I'm not talking just a a casual play. I'm talking like hours or sometimes late at night. And, um, it's definitely a new, uh, or a newer phenomenon. I can't imagine Mike Metzger staying up till 3am playing pong uh, but maybe not. Maybe you're at the arcade playing Pac-Man. I don't know. Maybe you sneak no, that, out. That's what time when you might. That's when you wake up. <laughs> you went to bed at eight thirty. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's uh, it's it definitely exists, and <clears throat> I I think you know the common argument used for it is that it's a bonding experience. It's a a time to to come together and to feel united particularly if it's some type of like you know i'm thinking of call of duty or one of those where you're working together with your friends and so you're online and it's a thing you do together but obviously it takes away a lot of time a significant amount of time for some and uh, me, me personally i've i guess i've just I, I don't have the time or maybe it's, I'm not making the time for that. And so that has just not drive I sort of have naturally fallen away from video games. It's harder for me to, uh, to resonate with that, but it does seem to be a thing where it's, it's just, it's a significant amount of time. Um, so yeah, generally I'm curious your take. I think mm-hmm. I'm slightly biased because I've, I've seen different relationships uh, particularly marriages that are strained by, uh, in this case, mainly the husband playing video games. Uh, and and they, maybe they're subtle things like we don't go to bed together because the husband's staying, staying up late playing video games or um, just distracted. There are a lot of things to get done and the husband's playing video games. Uh, yeah, I'm very, very interested in, is this just a generational phenomenon? Or is there something else going on here? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Well, we're going to tee off this uh, word you just used, uh, bias. First of all, we're all biased uh, in, some, in some way or another. Um, I'm smiling because I, I just I just can't imagine C.S. Lewis, you know, in the evening going home and playing video games that they had they been around. Um, <laughs> it's <just> kind of <laughs> a jarring image. Uh, man, that's good. So I'm just, um, so, hey, we're maybe up to six, seven listeners now. Hey, for you, uh, we just, you know, I've never been drawn to them. So take that, take all these comments with a grain of salt. We're just sort of poking and exploring and what have you. Um, you know, there, there was a good little book uh, written many years ago by Neil Postman. He's passed away, but it's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And um, there's just there's just something about um, virtual reality that it would just seem to me uh, it's not alluring to me, but I get it's got to be, it must be alluring to a whole lot of people because I too I mean occasionally I might walk through. Best Buy or something, and I go, uh, oh, what's that? In fact, you mentioned a game a moment ago. What was it? Uh, probably Call of Duty. Call of Duty, which I'm assuming some kind of military battle. And yeah, yeah. Shoot 'em up, bang 'em up. Which, when I was a kid, we played shoot 'em up, bang 'em up. We'd go out in the woods, we'd make wooden rifles and shoot 'em up, bang 'em up. And <laughs> um, now you can do this. Um, in the comfort of your own home. Listen, so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just throw this out. A lot of us uh, admire and respect the work of N.T. Wright. Familiar with him? Yeah, I think you've mentioned him a couple of times. Yeah. And Wright, for many years, felt like uh, Christians, we really don't, we don't have a way out of the morass or the post-Christian world and yada, yada, yada. And um, he, uh, he, for the last 10 years, has said he's felt he's found the way out, the way forward, uh, a way for the faith to make sense again. And uh, he cites the work of Ian McGilchrist and The Master and His Emissary, the book that we've referenced here, a book that very few people will probably read because it is a lengthy book. It's dense. But uh, the thrust of the book is uh, a Nietzschean tale, a tale from uh, supposedly from Friedrich Nietzsche, the famed atheist who told of a kingdom with a benevolent master, and he sent out his emissaries to rule this kingdom. And his brightest and most gifted emissary uh, began to feel like, uh, what the hell? I think I'm smarter than the master. And so he overthrew the master, and uh, the kingdom uh, destroyed the kingdom. Now, now uh, McGilchrist will say this is the cultural history of the last 500 years of the Western world with the Enlightenment, that the right, the brains is told in the brain, the two hemispheres, the right hemisphere is more of the benevolent master. It thinks in pictures, it understands moral imagination, it thinks about the way the world ought to be, imagines it. The left hemisphere is more the emissary, the Enlightenment. It tends to be that which uh, tends to be the activist mind and tends to 
Um, uh, the, the point is they're made to work together. They're complementary back and forth, in and out, across and return pattern. But the last 500 years has been a slow predominance of the a bias, there's the key word you use, for the left hemisphere. Now, what am I getting at? What does that have to do with games, video games? Interestingly enough, it is only in the right hemisphere that we actually experience the real world. All of the impulses we have, all the experiences are dumped into the right hemisphere at roughly 14 million bits of information every second. They are then uh, transferred or returned over to the left hemisphere, which has no direct contact with reality. It lives in a virtual world. Now, the left hemisphere is important because it tries to organize, collate, and interpret these experiences and then shoots them back over to the right where they are somewhat scrutinized, refined, honed, more experiences are added in. So the right experiences, the left interprets. But the left lives in a virtual world. The Gilchrist will show studies, numerous studies, that 95% of the, of the Western world population biases the left hemisphere. You bias one or the other. Again, listeners, just to be clear, there's no such thing as a right brain or a left brain person. We use both, but we bias unconsciously one hemisphere or the other. The 95% of the population that biases the left hemisphere, if they're not careful, the left through neuroimaging, they find, for example, if someone suffers a brain injury and loses the function of their right hemisphere, the left is unaware the right is no longer there. It can stay in a virtual reality and it feels real. The right hemisphere, if we lose the function of the left, is always out there pinging for this lost hemisphere. It's always looking for it. It wants to collaborate with the left. The left has to be prodded by the right. If you don't bias the right hemisphere, in other words, you can construct in your own imagination how the world ought to be and what have you. But you can be living in a virtual world and not even know it. This was the point of the first film in the Matrix series. Now, what does that have to do with video games? I don't know, except <laughs> it doesn't take a whole lot of genius here. It doesn't take any to go, could this be one of the outworkings of a Western world population that really is more comfortable in a virtual world? Well, yeah, I was I was just imagining the loss element of that. You know, we, you mentioned the left can essentially lose the the input from the right and just not care, and it's uh, it's almost like you can you can fall in love with a virtual world and not even notice or be aware of the loss of the physical world and the um, particularly the maybe the need or the the beauty of that. It's just gone, and you're unaware. That's right. It's, it's what's called unconscious. So our bias then becomes non-conscious. Non-conscious means you could access it if you had an outside voice speaking into your life, but 
otherwise you just not aware of it and by the way uh, just so my friends who are left-handed they tend to think well i know that the brain is contralateral so if i'm left-handed that means i bias my right hemisphere and if i'm right-handed i bias my left nope uh, drawing exercises show 89 percent of americans or westerners who are left-handed bias their left hemisphere some mm. it's some amazing studies that just so just because you're left-handed doesn't mean or other people say you know i'm an artist or i'm a musician so i bias the right hemisphere nope in the initial immersion in an in in artistic endeavors we tend to bias the right most studies show that in short order people are biasing or even artists are biasing their left hemisphere hmm. and uh, now what so yeah i i you know i have to imagine there's some sort of connection um because and we've talked about this before there there ha, there is a parallel with the prevalence of porn because if you widen the lens you're looking at zeros and ones now what is erotic about zeros and ones on a screen yeah yeah well even even if you were to take that a step further and to look at just purely the visual but without the, you know, the physical experience, the full embodied, uh, entire full body experience of, of, uh, you know, int intimacy of making love of sex. That's right. That is a very different experience than just looking at a screen. Looking at a screen and <clears throat> let's be candid because we have so few listeners. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about, you know, where does this, was porn tend to lead? To a whole lot of self-stimulation. Oh, that is, that's that is a very thinned-out embodied experience. I mean, the, the terms on it is called, in lack of a better term, masturbation. It's self-stimulation. So there is no other body involved. There is no literal other body involved. You say, "Oh no, it's just when I'm watching on the screen." There's you're watching zeros and ones. Now you, you you can see what the left hemisphere does. It, it, it's like this. Good little video. There's a good video cut down a couple of years ago about uh, people on their phones and they miss all the big events in life. Like <laughs> I thought, like the one that this guy gets on his knees on the beach and proposes to the girl and comes down. And the girl goes, "I'm sorry, were you saying something?" <laughs> uh, but uh, it's a clever little video. Well, what? What happens when a device that can fit in your hands can consume all of your attention? And I know you're traveling overseas this coming week, and, and uh, I've been overseas a lot. Uh, and I'm always amazed that uh, you can land anywhere. It doesn't matter if you're American or Asian or what have you. Everybody's on their phone. I'm going, I've never been to the city before. This would be fascinating uh, kathy and i love to go to italy and we've been twice and one time we were somewhere i can't remember what it was and i said kathy look around and everyone tourists and locals were on their phone so here you are in assisi you can go to the cathedral or you can be on your phone 
And how can a screen that small have well over 95% of your attention? So yes, if there was a loud explosion or something, uh, your attention would be distracted. But there's something going on here that seems to me that the brain research of McGilchrist and others, because the left hemisphere tends to be narrowly focused. Now that's essential for getting product and processes out the door. So COOs, CEOs, C-level leaders, the rest, they all tend to be left biased, the left hemisphere, regardless of what they self-report. And it has, it is a necessary function. But that narrow focus seems to apply to video games. And I mentioned that for this reason. So it was a fascinating little interview with about a dozen people in New York Times yesterday. And I was a columnist interviewing all these people on Zoom. And there are various ages regarding uh, Ukraine and what's going on in the war. And I, I, it's fair to say there were two that had served in the military. And if you listen to their answers versus those who haven't been in the military, but to your point, might have played, I'm sorry, what's that? Call of Duty? Call of yeah. Duty. I know yeah. I sound really dense right now. Like, <laughs> what was the thing called? An automobile? Um, <laughs> I'm not that old, but. So here's what they said, for example, uh, give us one word for uh, what's uh, Ukraine. And then you hear things like a fearful, unsure, uncertain. Uh, but the two guys in the military, were, it, basically it was like, uh, this shit happens. I want to be in Afghanistan, for example. You know, there's just something about the hard edge of reality that you can play game of thr- uh, game of uh, called <laughs> you can <laughs> what a uh, I'm an idiot so let's just get that on the table but, you, but uh, shoot my bang about um, but your brain's trying to tell you this isn't real this is supposed to be amusement amuse with someone who ponders when you don't ponder it's amusing. And that has a place sometimes. You don't have to ponder everything for crying out loud. But it is fascinating, and you're familiar again with these studies, um, Pat, that in World War One and, and in, and in uh, major wars before that, they, the number of soldiers who uh, they found slain, they, you know, they were killed on the battlefield, who never fired their weapon. And they did studies on this, and the government concluded you have to condition people to shoot other people. It just doesn't come naturally. So they began to create um, film to condition people to fire your arms on the field of combat. That's part of your call to duty. Somehow, <clears throat> video games also do play a role in conditioning some to take up arms and shoot someone. But they also create 
when it happens on a scale they've not seen before or see it live that they've had it as such a disembodied experience that it causes revulsion in their body kind of a this is scary versus now this this is what happens in a fallen world there is an evil one this stuff is happening all the time but you've been watching it in your climate controlled warmth and security of your home so you think you know about it but here again another impossible book to read but we're back to michael polanyi and his book uh personal knowledge that he he's a famous scientist who after watching the nuremberg trials and those who had slaughtered millions of jews saying i was just it was my duty. I was just following orders. And he wrote, how dare we call ourselves enlightened? But he asked himself, how did we get here? And a lot of it had to do with returning to his Jewish roots back to Genesis 4.1. Adam knew Eve, that all true knowledge is personal, hands-on. It's more than hands-on a remote hands on someone's body another person's body you don't get that in a video game yeah mike i'd like to to maybe take a minute to analyze this from thinking about ought is can will i mean we're 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 talking a lot here about the negative aspects Mm -hmm. and i think those are those are obvious um to some those are obvious and my concern is I don't want people to think that oh we're just you know anti video games um, as we oh we are we are scared on the table right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is uh, we're we're not uh, from this perspective of oh this is just dumb and you should not do it uh, because right. it's it's bad but we often when we have conversations we talk about the extremes um, consumerism is not a good thing. Uh, politicization is not a good thing politics mm-hmm. is 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 okay um there's it's an good. element of politics it's that, inherently yeah, it's good. Good. necessary yeah and so i i do think there is there is good here i mean i mentioned one of them being um, camaraderie there's an element to which video games are good it's when you take it to the extreme that i think it gets bad and uh we see that and what we i think have been talking about here is evidence of the extreme someone who plays call of duty to the extent that they're conditioned and just no detachment from the real world. But I am curious when we think about whether it's virtual reality to the fullest extent, or just this idea of a virtual reality, whether that's looking at a screen, playing a video game on the screen, where, where do you think that fits in terms of audits can will? Uh, We've been talking about all Mm -hmm. the, the fall element of it, but um, is there, is there benefit to that? Are there, are there, are good things that may, maybe for some it could be a helpful wake up to realize oh that this does have a place i've taken it too far past that sure well i have read uh, reports the military finds uh, i'm serious about this they, they find the the manual dexterity of those who play a lot of games gives them a leg up for example in, in uh, becoming a fire, fighter pilot or what have you hmm. um 
so when I think about ought here, we ought to have a moral imagination. And all of these things, these uh, technologies, which are inherently good, but remember, technology has, is a kissing cousin to uh, the idea of a telos. What's the aim or the purpose, the end game here? And it's to shape our moral imagination. So technology is like printing for books. Uh, but books, uh, the best ones rather, are uh, leave something to the imagination. Mm -hmm. So you have uh, Adam knew Eve. Now it's not till progressively over hundreds of years as scripture unfolds that you go uh, well you know oh i see why it's called knowledge hence used to be culturally it was called if uh, you're sleeping with someone who's not your spouse it was called carnal knowledge chili con carne chili with meat flesh there was fleshly knowledge that was inappropriate carnal knowledge all that's obliterated today, in my opinion, Pat. So the the advantage is all these things could widen our imagination, so to say, which is Louise Collins' definition of faith, a certain widening of the imagination. I think that most of these, a, a, a lack of a judicious use of them widens your imagination in ways that are not helpful. For example, so I'm 67. Maybe this is maybe this hits just when you start getting older. You go, what really matters in life? What what do I most enjoy? What's been most deeply enjoyable? I'd say a walk with Kathy down the street, maybe go on the beach, reading a book playing with their kids. Growing up, I remember just going on the front lawn and pitching a baseball back and forth with Mark. And it was what Lewis and others have called signals of transcendence, like you never wanted it to end. That's what, uh, nothing original here, but a signal of transcendence is these things, as, as many have noted, if you never wanted it to end, where do you get this idea of forever? Why would you even imagine this? if forever didn't exist. So in the same way, I just find what was most meaningful, what was most enjoyable, but it was actually being bodily with friends who were simpatico. Well, these are all pictures of eternity. I don't think in eternity we're going to be playing Call to Duty call of duty did i screw up the title again <laughs> i did your last made a comment but <laughs> i just a friend of mine once preached and a woman came up and said uh, i really appreciate your self-defecating humor <laughs> <laughs> you just had to let it ride you just let that ride that was very sweet of you <laughs> i just don't think um so you know am i opposed no but there's no sense of uh, context that would give it a judicious sense. So there's someone maybe there, you mentioned these situations. So someone, the uh, husband's playing a night, the wife says, I'm, go I'm, go I'm tired, I'm going to bed. And you go, okay, see you, hon. 
me a little peck on the cheek. Do you really think when you're when you're in your sixties or seventies and you've been married like forty years and you you're empty nesters that you're gonna go look back and say, gosh, I can remember every night, every game I played, whether I won or lost those games. I remember if I, my my team beat that team. I remember every freaking one. I got news for you. I can't even remember who won the NCAA basketball tournament two years ago. <laughs> I really can't. Now, I can remember Mark and I going to old Cold Fieldhouse many years ago. You know, Cole. Yeah. And watching Richmond upset Syracuse in the part of the March Madness. Why do I remember that? Well, we sat on Cole's hard bench and my little skinny butt. I was sitting with Mark. And I, could, I have all these memories with Steve and Jennifer, now our grandkids, but they're real, live, embodied experiences. I can remember books that I've read because they, I was imagining what was going on. If you're reading a fantasy novel or any book and you're not imagining what's going on, you're going to put the book down. It's what's called, you know, I, I don't get it. But a good book. I can close my eyes and there's ransom in that rocket. I can see it. In fact, part of the reason why I was not attracted to the Lord of the Rings is that Peter Jackson took millions of ways people imagine this and put them all into Elijah Wood. I wasn't imagining Elijah Wood, mm. but fair enough. But what happened for those who had never read the books, but went to the movie, I don't think the stickiness is quite as great because you were fed more into your moral imagination. The pictures were given to you yeah. versus you. So when I read Atkinson's trilogy, Rick Atkinson trilogy on World War II, that thing stuck with me. It was called History is Biography, as how George Will called it. But when you read about Nazi army marching east towards Russia and what they did to tens and thousands of women, and then you read what Soviet soldiers on their way back did to, it is guesstimate over two million women. And you read of tens of thousands of women knowing the Soviets are coming committing suicide now I have friends who confess they are addicted to rape porn hmm. it gets stimulates them some so much that they can no longer be stimulated by their spouse I got news for you. I don't know if it's Call of Duty or Call to the Bathroom or whatever game you're playing. Night after night, or pretty regularly, your spouse says, I'm going to bed, and you go, I'm more stimulated playing this game than sleeping with my spouse. 
Pat, I can't explain it all. I'm not trying to, but something ain't right with my picture. Can you, can you imagine that being your vows? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just funny when we're thinking about this. I naturally, of course, I'm going to a left-brained analysis of just thinking about the time. And I often think, my goodness, you know, mm-hmm. investing so much time in this, could yeah. that time not be spent better elsewhere? Yeah. And there, there's a truth to that, but it is, that's just a very rational, logical analysis uh, that doesn't really have much impact on someone who's <laughs> in it. That's true. But your analysis <laughs> is far more right brain embodied, and I do think it's more impactful. So I'm just laughing at sort of the the meta of the conversation there, going on. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think you're you're right about that. I mean, there is just something there is something really wonderful about uh, about going going to bed together. Interestingly, I do know of of one individual who. Uh, took a took a, a period of time and just decided I'm going to go to bed early. I'm not going to stay up and play video games. And one of the initial reports of him was he was saying how it was actually really nice going to bed and he would find himself just engaging in conversation with his wife. Mm-hmm. And it, it seemed to sound sound like that just didn't happen before. Definitely not at that time. But mm-hmm. in, in general, that just seemed to be a really flourishing time. So, yeah, it's I think that's exactly what you're talking about of those memories. And, and just thinking about it for my own life, fast forwarding, gosh, what does it look like when I'm in my 60s and what do I remember? And, um, you know, even literally last night I, I get into bed and my wife was out with our church group and got home late. And we just I knew I had to get up early for this podcast, but we stayed up for an hour well past my bedtime just talking <laughs> and catching up and uh, talking about our day. And we hadn't really had a chance to connect at all. Um, mm. But even that is just, those are the memories I have. Um, and we were even just kind of, kind of uh, enjoying the state of our marriage and just talking about how it's really cool that we feel like we're, we're clicking and connecting and just such a sweet season. That's, that's a time that I would not have had had I been up playing video games and she came in the door. Um, and, and yeah, I think there are those moments that like we said at the start of the conversation, you will not realize you're missing those because you are, uh, amusing the left side of your brain and you, you may never be able to see those moments are the ones that are missing. And really well said. Yeah, it's um. When you, yeah, it's funny when you mentioned how I put it, <clears throat> and you're right. I this drawing exercises show that I I just naturally bias my right hemisphere. It doesn't make you a better person. In fact, it makes you kind of an an outsider in a whole lot of places. You're an oddball, Mike. Makes <laughs> you an oddball. Uh, but I did. Um, you said it well. The right hemisphere is where you feel it. And I think, I think what I imagine anyway is happening when um, someone's staying up playing video games, the spouse goes to bed, is that they don't feel big picture, a la right hemisphere, what's happening. 
what they feel is a diluted, disembodied, narrowly focused something that is so concentrated that the power is, even if you're doing it on your laptop, that 13-inch screen can pretty much erase all your peripheral vision. The wider vista, you don't feel it. And we frankly operate, I think rightly so by God's design, by our feelings. I was with Crew for many years, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, and a little four laws booklet had a little train diagram. The train diagram comes straight out of the Enlightenment. You know, the engine was facts, the uh, coal car was faith, and the caboose was feelings, and FFF. And the idea is you put your faith in the facts of God's Bible, not in your feelings, and that's what moves the train. <clears throat> that's not how human nature works. The fact of the matter is we... Uh, we do what we delight in, what we get, to, what we get joy out of. What, it's what we feel. That's Psalm one fifteen three. God is in the heavens; He does whatever He delights in, and uh, we're made in His image. And it's not a rational process. It, it is. It is rational when it is bound inside the right, a proper moral imagination. But that would take a bias for the right hemisphere, or at least an outside voice speaking in saying. Do you really want to play one more hour here on something that you will have forgotten about versus an hour conversation with your spouse that could deepen the bonds of love? I say that because apparently, you know, the studies still show people spend about 18,000 hours a week in front of a screen. Again, it's just hard to imagine C.S. Lewis, Abraham Lincoln, you know, George Washington. Just go back through history. Are we going to be the freaky part of history where people will we'll see him in the eternal paradise and they'll go, you did what? <laughs> when you had a chance to go outside and pull some weeds find out what God was saying there in the oracle. You get to cultivate the ground, but it's not going to give you trouble. And especially in America, where they took an English invention, the lawn, and brought it here. We don't have English weather by heart. And, uh, or, or, you know, to, to uh, go explore in some woods or some, or to make something. I have a good friend of mine down in Norfolk, uh, the Naval Academy grad, but he, woodworker, he delights in that. And now uh, he goes on long bike rides with his wife. They've got to become pretty serious bicyclists. Why wouldn't you do that? You remember that. I really think, you know, my little iPad, I guess they all do this. Now they tell you if your re if your viewing was up or down on the past week, and they show you how much time on the iPad. Maybe I ought to pay attention there and go. 
what the hell did I do during all that time? I can't remember. I'll tell you what. You get to eternity, and you see Adam and Eve, and you say, do you remember what that was like when it's recorded there you knew one another? What do you think they'll say? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. <laughs>